people after watching the work were like in tears. And the tears weren't, there's no narrative. They're not crying for Romeo or Juliet. They, I mean, they're crying for themselves, right? And it's like, so how do we create a space where the audience can sort of look at their own you know, fears and desires and losses and joys and, you know, themselves? Welcome to Taiwan Talk. I'm Aspen Bailharts. Theatre director Craig Quintero is on the forefront of using virtual reality to create immersive, enigmatic performances. But his story in Taiwanese theatre goes back a lot further. Craig founded the Taipei-based company Riverbed Theatre in 1998 and has spent decades creating works with dreamlike imagery. So you initially came to Taiwan to study Chinese opera. What was it that so intrigued you that you wanted to move here to study that? I was an undergraduate at Tufts University in uh, Massachusetts, and I was studying abroad in mainland China uh, during my junior year. And I saw a Chinese opera performance, and I was really struck by how um, the formality of the work, the structure of the form. With Chinese opera, it's so structured and so formal that it's almost in a way you had to learn how to watch or experience the work. And so I was really interested in the formality of it. After watching a number of performances in China, I met some performers, and um, I really thought it would be interesting as an artist to sort of invest in this form. And one of the sort of most uh, richest things that I learned in the process was that, uh, you know, like in Western theater, it's like sort of from the inside out. So you work on the psychology of the character, and then you develop the physicality. Whereas in Chinese opera, you work sometimes from the outside in. So you have the form. These are the movements I'm doing. And you do those forms before you really think about what's internally motivating them. Did you take elements of that forward with your work? I'd say not directly, um, but just thinking about the the human figure as a sculptural form. And so it's not about uh, their character per se, but as the, you know, the line and shape of the human body. And so in, in the West, we don't really have that same sort of specificity of, of the human form. And so even though our works with Riverbed Theater are radically different than Chinese opera, um, that there is still a, a sculptural quality. It's, it's the beauty of the human figure. How would you describe that style that you work in? Generally, tend to use a word like uh, image-based theater or subconscious theater. And so a lot of traditional plays are text-based. And so we start off with, here's a play. Uh, as an actor, you go memorize your lines, you develop your character. And so it's uh, oftentimes very representational or naturalistic. Our work, instead of starting with the written word as the script, it's a series of images. And so it's more like a living painting or a living sculpture. And so it's less about giving a specific moral or idea or a plot line, and it's more about creating this visual experience. So it's theater of images, which is obviously focused on the ocular-centric on scene, um, but we're also really uh, interested in exploring other uh, sort of sensory elements. And so we've done a lot of immersive theater work. And so you know, we did this one piece where we built like a, a space inside of a space, a theater inside of a theater. And so we could control, you know, the, the, the light, the smell, the taste, the touch, all the different senses. And we collaborated with the chef. And so the audience was eating and interacting. And it's, it's again, it's thinking about instead of just going to watch theater to chukanshi, like to see a show, it's more of a, an experience like tienta, so to experience it. How do you go about that creative process? Yeah, so I think that it's um, in general because we're not starting with a plot line or a moral or this is our idea. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of theater, it works really well as 
giving a specific lesson or idea or thought. Um, we're much more invested in um, creating like a, a space for the audience. And so, you know, I like to use a metaphor of a mirror. So in the audience, in terms of seeing the work, it's not that I have something great to say and like, oh, or this amazing element of the show. It's more through seeing the performance, they can see themselves. Uh, we might start with the space itself. So we do a lot of site-specific work. We might start right. with, we're working on an artist. We've done shows based on Rene Magritte or Robert mm -hmm. Wilson or Yoyoi Kusama. Uh, we've done adaptations of poems by Xiaoyu, a Taiwanese poet. And so each project will have a different starting point, And then we just sort of, this is where we're beginning. And then we play this game we call, and then, so Rahona. And it's like, so this image happens, and then, and then, and then. And so you have one image, which leads to the second image, which leads to the, the third and fourth and the hundredth. And so in a way, it's um, instead of having a plot driving or pushing it forward, it's these series of connections, and sometimes it might be the, the human line or color or shape or an evolution of the set around the audience. Um, it's just sort of letting the, the piece dictate where we go. When you talk about having such an open-ended process, have you ever had audience interpretations that you could never have expected? This one show when I was in college, initially the show was called A Show About a Family and Some Small Changes. And then in the process of rehearsing it, we changed the piece entirely. So it was no longer based on that, but the program had already been printed. And so after the show, they're like, oh my God, yeah, and the father and the mother and, and the way with their children. I was like, what are they talking? Like, what father? Who's the father? Who's the mother? But anyway, they read something and then that was the way that they framed their interpretation of the piece. And so I think that what's, you know, in the same way, oftentimes when we go to a museum, instead of looking at the artwork, people tend to read the, the text uh, beside the artwork. And so like, well, what's the explanation of the painting? Yes. And I think that because we, we, we sort of, we don't trust our impulses, we don't trust our responses. And so we, we want to be told. And so I think that it's really in part of doing our work is it's helping the audience to set, to let go, that there isn't a single meaning. It, it's your response. And so in the same way that if you look up at a blue sky and it's it's beautiful it's not beautiful because it means something but it's just the color or maybe it triggers a memory of like when you were a child walking along the beach with your, your grandmother or it triggers a memory i mean something internally happens so it doesn't have to mean something it, it just sort of is and to trust that are there any other influences with other parts of that style Probably the person who was most influential is a artist in boston marilyn arsom and so she's a performance artist and uh, when I was an undergraduate, I went to this show and I expected to see a play, and it was not a play. Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, sewed f uh, bird wings onto a fish. And there was a child who emerged from a table and ate what looked like dirt. It was a, it was a lot of strange things happened. And after the show, that I was like, that was very strange. Um, but also there was something really uh, evocative of, of the work that was like speaking a foreign language, but somehow I, I under already understood the language, that it was like working sort of like on a more subconscious level than on a literal level. And, and I found that really appealing. It's not to tell you, I mean, we already have a boss, we already have a boyfriend or girlfriend, or we already have a teacher. We have people telling us what to think and do. And it's, again, to create this space where it's not to tell you, but to give you space to reflect and think. Have you found ways of talking across language or yeah. cultural barriers? Yeah, and so I think that uh, we... Probably in 25 years, we have a total of like five minutes of dialogue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, and I think that language is obviously our default way of communication. And it's yes. the easiest and most direct. 
But easy, I, I don't think, is obviously necessarily good, right? And, and I think that if we can, uh, in creating these image-based work, stay a step ahead of the audience. And so it's, you know, I like to use a metaphor of like pulling the carpet out from under the audience's foot. And so once you think that you're stabilized, you sort of yank on the carpet, the audience becomes destabilized. And in that moment of destabilization, you're sort of the, the, the everyday logic, the way that we approach the world, what's left, what's right, what's up, what's down, gravity disappears. And I think in this altered state where we're not sort of bound by everyday logic and the way we approach life, something different can happen. And I think that as an artist, if we can help the audience free themselves from the constraints of the everyday, then we can transport them to someplace different. Recently, you have been using virtual reality. What led you to that? So in 2011, uh, our company decided to do a performance for an audience of one. And so initially there was concern about finances, you know, how is that sustainable? Um, but we did this piece at a hotel, the uh, Eight Zone Hotel in Taipei. It was a 45-minute piece. We did it eight times a day for uh, three days. And so 24 people saw the piece. And then it was done. And we thought we would be done with this experiment. But the audience response was so, you know, overwhelming um, that after people would leave the show, and so it was, um, you know, they, they would go down to the hotel lobby and, and sit there in silence for like an hour. Or some people, they couldn't be silent. They just had to like find someone to talk to and, and, you know, and tell them about what happened. And, and it was just somehow, I think, that we're really hungry for um, an encounter, an engagement really rewarding. So we've done 10 of these productions, um, but obviously financially not so sustainable. <laughs> so if you have seven actors and you have to be able to sit, set and you have lighting and all this stuff. And so with VR, we're able to take that similar experience of immersing the audience in the work, having this direct encounter, but we can film it once and then we can show it around the world. And it's really kind of remarkable that the audience, even though they, they know they're putting on an Oculus headset, they're in VR, it's not real, but once they put it on, they really enter into the world. And, you know, it's remarkable. Ten minutes later, when they take it off, there's this, like, where was I, right? We're here, but then somehow we're, we're brought someplace different. We're brought closer to ourselves. We did one of these pieces at the Taichung National Museum of Art. And on the last day, ten people saw the work. Seven people, after watching the work, were, like, in tears. And the tears weren't, there's no narrative. They're not crying for Romeo or Juliet. They're not crying because someone's sick and ill and sort of, I mean, they're crying for themselves, right? And it's like, so how do we create a space where the audience can sort of look at their own you know, fears and desires and losses and joys and, you know, themselves and, and, and respond? And so we've um, you know, done two now VR pieces, part of a trilogy. And we've had, you know, work shown in Venice and in Tribeca. And then um, what's also really exciting is we're collaborating with the Phi Studio in Montreal to develop a production to incorporate live performers and 12 audience members at a time in VR. And so there's thinking again about how to integrate that technology into the live experience. Did you find that the technology opened up any artistic possibilities? Yeah, I'd say it's... Um, so. It opens up some and closes some. Mm -hmm. And so I think that like for our live performances, for an audience of one, the audience moves through the space. With 360 VR, the camera has to be stationary um, because of uh, otherwise the audience gets sort of seasick or nauseous because of too much movement. And so with a static camera, it really changes the way that all the movements have to move in relationship to the lens. Also that there become like these blind spots between the lenses or like these areas where they're gonna have to use stitching to sort of combine these images. And so it really limits, um, you know, like a horizontal movement. 
as well as in terms of the distance between the camera and the performers. And so there's a lot of, when you're watching it, you're probably not aware of these limitations. But as a director, um, if you're too close, like closer than like 70 centimeters, it, the image won't work. If you're farther away than like six feet, then you'll sort of just fade into the background. And so you have a really small, sweet spot of where you can move or situate the image. But in terms of like what's amazingly possible is like a lot of our shows, we sort of emphasize this idea of handmade theater. So we build the sets ourselves and there's an organic quality, which is cool. But for like sort of to transport the audience to a different space involves people backstage, like pushing the heavy set pieces and moving Mm. stuff. Whereas in VR, like, bam, like we can transport to the, we can cut to the next scene in the same way that we can in film. And so it's, it's kind of remarkable. It's like, I mean, the ability to transport people, And the sound, I mean, it's going, it's right on your ears. And so it's almost like bypassing your ears and going directly into your head. And the images are so close as well. It's it's almost bypassing your eyes and going directly into, into you. In VR, I mean, you're fully in the work. It's like the image is bending around you. And I think that that proximity alters the encounter. It intensifies the encounter in a really unique way. And that does it for this week's episode of Taiwan Talk. I'm Aspen Bailharts, and I've been speaking to Craig Quintero, Artistic Director of Riverbed Theatre. Until next week, thanks for listening.